0: All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, so much for uh, your word. I thank you for the love that it shows and exhibits. And I pray uh, that as we learn more about your love, learn more about what that looks like to live out that love, uh, that your spirit would guide and lead us in this journey, because it's only out of that spirit can we do so. So it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Our mission here at Trinity is uh, to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Raise your hand if you've heard this before, right? This isn't a new thing. This is what we talk about a lot. Uh, We say it every single Sunday. But what's interesting here is that as we talk about this word love, we have to understand that love can mean many different things, I mean, what in the world do you mean by loving more like Jesus? Especially in our culture, the word love is a very umbrella term. It captures many different things. For example, for me to love, I can uh, love my wife. Like, I love Gretchen a lot. And I'm not just saying that because my in-laws are sitting in the second row here today, all right? I love my wife. Yet I also love my mom. And let me be clear, the love that I have for my wife is different than the love that I have for my mom, all right? Now, I also happen to really love pizza. And so being in Chicago is one of the greatest blessings ever because we have the best pizza in the world. All right, there we go. Somebody is with me here. This is good. All right I also uh, love pizza differently than I love my wife, which is different than I love my mom, and I also used to really love our first ever dog that we had there 's Ozzy right over there. You can say ah he he 's adorable all right he 's not with us anymore, but that 's okay all right. I still loved him, uh, and I love the the city of Chicago, the place where we live here today. See, love in our culture can mean so many different things. It can mean acceptance. It can mean a feeling of comfort. It can mean sexual attraction. It can mean friendship. It can mean, I, I got your back. And, and, and this makes sense when we put it this way. But but then we look at the teaching of Jesus, and he says this statement in John thirteen thirty four. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So when Jesus says this, what kind of love is he talking about? Is he talking about a love like that you have for a spouse, for a family member, for pizza or a dog or what? And, and what's interesting is that according to the Bible, um, this is where the English language, where we translate into that word love, the original language of Greek has four different kinds of the word love. We just translate it as love, but there are four different kinds of words in the Greek that translate as love. The first one is this, just to kind of nerd out here for a second. The first one is storge. Uh, That is like a love for pizza, a love through fondness of common aspects when we relate in familiar ways whoever it was who was just excited when they heard pizza just a couple minutes ago, right? Like, hey, we're on the same page. I knew we have a familiar kind of love. That's storge. The second kind of love that the Bible uses is eros, which is a love for my wife. It's where the word erotic comes from. If you need more explanation about this word, you can talk to me after church or just ask your parents about it, (laughs) especially over Christmas meal. That'll be really fun, all right? The Bible uses this word as well, all right? Another word is philos, a, a love for my friend. It's a friendship kind of love. Uh, one that, uh, that I have a brotherly love for somebody. And, and then the last of these words that gets translated as love is this word. Maybe you've heard it before. Agape. And what that word means is that I am loved. Now, what's interesting is that the first three of these kinds of love that exist in the Bible are all very conditional kinds of love. They can be temporary in some sense. But when we look at the fourth kind of love, agape, this is an unconditional, divine kind of love. So when Jesus says in John 13 that I give you a new commandment to love one another, Which of these four do you think he's talking about? It's agape. I mean, if you were to read it in the original language, it would look like this. A new commandment I give to you, that you agape one another, just as I have agaped you. You also are to agape one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have agape for one another. And so today, as we talk about this big word of love, I need you to know that we're talking about an unconditional divine love. It's different than the love you have for maybe the person you're sitting sitting next to here today at church, but something that is beautiful and profound. And this finishes up our series called Joy to the World, looking at these four big words of hope, peace, joy, and love. And I want to try to define this word, agape, uh, by using this definition. It's this Agape is an others' focus, self giving love, as first shown by Jesus, seeking the well being of others, regardless of their response. Agape would be defined as others' focus, the self giving love, as first shown by Jesus, seeking the well being of others regardless of their response. Now, I could spend literally hours going through every single passage, in particular in the New Testament, and showing you which one of these loves is Jesus really talking about, and we could point out all the Eros ones and kind of laugh and have some jokes around that, and philos and all sorts of stuff. I think that would get kind of boring after a while. Because instead of just defining this more and more and more, I want you to see a place in the Bible, a story that is so beautiful that displays really what agape, divine love really looks like. And and it comes from the reading that we just read. And I'll title this story, A Story of a King and Who Gets to Sit at His Table. I want you to imagine uh, kind of that like big table Christmas uh, moment. Maybe this is coming up for you in a couple of days. All the nice silverware is out. All of a sudden, we got candles on the table and people are excited to be there, right? There's this story in time where God is working through a king and he's going to display agape a divine kind of love. The king in the story is a guy named David. Uh, he's uh, the king of that area, and he has um, the king of God's people, the second king that, that God's people have. And in that, there's uh, his sons and daughters, Absalom, Tamar, and Solomon. And we also see that in this story, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, that there's a servant whose name is Zeba. And in this story, we read that in 2 Samuel 8.15, right before what we read this morning, it said that David reigned over all of Israel, this king, and he administered justice and equity to all of his people. There's no talk of impeachment. All right? Like, things are good in the kingdom. Things are right. He is executing Justice and equity to all people. And so David makes this statement. He says this. Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? It's interesting because if if this statement, which would have been a popular statement to say during that time, keep in mind that David is the second king after Saul, And this kind of happens in our society and culture, right? Like there's a new regime, a new era, and we gotta like make sure that everybody else that was before isn't in it anymore. And so David comes forward with this statement, and it seems as if that he wants to make sure that there's nobody who's not on his team that's with him. But the statement doesn't end there. David says Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Kindness more so will define as agape. That I may show love to anyone in the previous kingdom. And so, Ziba... Raises his or her hand. I'm not sure what what Ziva is personally. Ziva raises her hand and says, uh, "There is. There's there's a grandson whose name is Mephibosheth, and it is a tough name to say. We don't got many Mephibosheths running around here, right?" He says, "Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan." the grandson of Saul, he's alive and he is here. And we read of Mephibosheth in uh, 2 Samuel chapter four that Mephibosheth has this tragic accident because what happens is that David is about to take over the kingdom. and, And in that process of taking over the kingdom, that means you don't wanna be a part of the previous kingdom. Mephibosheth was the next in line to be king after Jonathan. But word had gotten out that that Saul, his grandfather, had been killed. And that Jonathan also had been killed. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we read that Mephibosheth's nurse takes him and flees and escapes. And in the process of leaving and getting out of harm's way and danger... There's an accident that happens. We don't know all the details, but we know the result of the moment is that Mephibosheth would be crippled and he wouldn't be able to walk without assistance. And so David comes forward and says, is there anyone who's still a part of Jonathan's family? And Ziba answers, yes, Mephibosheth, the one who's crippled. And so The story continues here. We read that David sends out Ziba to Mephibosheth. He says, Come out to me. What's fascinating is there's a small little detail here that's brought in. It says that Mephibosheth uh, is in Lodabar. The name of that literally translates as no pasture. Mephibosheth is in like North Dakota. No offense if you're from North Dakota, all right? There's nothing to do there. He's in the middle of nowhere. He is in a place where you don't want to be. Again, no offense if you're from North Dakota, all right? He's in a spot where where there's nothing there. And, And all of a sudden, the king's servant comes and says, I want you to come to the palace. Now imagine if you're Mephibosheth here. Imagine walking into the king's palace and you have your crutches, you are coming forward. The anxiety, the fear that would have been experienced by Mephibosheth, assuming that the king was going to treat him like previous kings and others would. And so Mephibosheth comes and we sees his anxiety. He says this, he says this when he sees King David. He says, what is your servant that you should show regard to a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth identifies himself as not even human, but as a dead dog. And David, the king, he says, Mephibosheth, I want you to eat at my table. Culturally, David is doing something that is massive and huge. It's not like, hey, just come over for Christmas and we'll shower you with some gifts and then go back to North Dakota. No, what he's saying is I want you to be a part of my family. You're now not in low debar. Now you sit at the king's table. And, and when I hear this story, I imagine I imagine this: that when that next meal would have came. They would have announced, hey, it's, it's time to eat, you know, everybody come and gather. And so there would have been Absalom, who was uh, one of David's sons. Absalom, we read in the scriptures, is a, a really strong, mighty warrior. He was probably working on a six-pack and doing curls, right? And he shows up to the table, and he's ready to eat. And then there's Tamar, who is known as this beautiful woman. So much so, she, she probably was trying on the perfect dress and all kinds of things and had thousands of likes on Instagram for just a simple little post. And she comes and she sits at the table. And then there's Solomon, who's known as the wisest man who ever lived. The dude was probably reading like some philosopher that nobody knows how to pronounce their name and making a relevant thing for the time. And then they would have heard something like this hearing a man. Crippled, come in, and he sits at the table. And it would be in that very moment that this massive myth would be busted. That each person wasn't at the table. Because of the family lineage, or because of the skill that they possessed. The only reason they were at the table was because the king said so. They're not there because of their beauty, their strength, or their wisdom, they're there because of the agape the unconditional divine love of the king to them. And, and as this moment would happen, we read that it was said that Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. And Just in case you forgot, Because now he was lame in both of his feet. This is a story of a king and him deciding who gets to sit at his table. And from that day forward, Mephibosheth was regarded as one of the king's own that he, too, would get to sit with the king's family. If you haven't figured it out already, this is not just some ancient story. This is our story with our heavenly father that we, too, might think we look like the Absaloms and the Tamars and the Solomons. A feeling if we were to be more honest, we would identify with Mephibosheth. Say that we are welcome to the table because the king says so. This is what agape is. This is what divine, unconditional love looks like. It understands that I am loved. Not conditionally, but unconditionally. And this was shown in the perfect way by the coming king, Jesus. This is why he came here to the world was to announce this freedom and love that would come through him. Not that you would earn it, but it was gifted and given to you. That by his death and his resurrection, Jesus would say that this is for the strong and the weak, the beautiful and the ugly, the wise and those who are still learning. For the Mephibosheths, the Absaloms, the Tamars, and the Solomons. This is a story of our king inviting us to the table. I love this quote by Karl Barth. He says this Agape identifies with the interests of the neighbor in utter independence of the question of his attractiveness and with no expectation of reciprocity. i say it again. Agape identifies with the interest of the neighbor in utter independence of the question of his attractiveness and with no exception of reciprocity. And I want to remind you of the words that Jesus would say. He would say, that a new commandment I give to you that you agape one another just as I have agaped you and also you are to agape one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you agape one another so today i just want you to know that number 1 you're loved you're agape. And, and that doesn't mean that you're loved like a friend. That doesn't mean that you're loved by some like erotic relationship or something like that. That doesn't mean that you are loved because of a common interest. What that means is that you are welcomed to the table of the king. That God Has invited you through Jesus, the fullest expression of agape, to eat at his table. Now it's important to know for Jesus that this kind of agape love isn't just something that we continually define and talk about, that true agape love is found in an action, as a verb, and something that we are called to go and share and do. And so here's my challenge to you over these next couple of days. That as you maybe gather around a table with some people who are easy to love and those who are a little more challenging, I want you to share this story. Share this story of a king and how he determined who gets to sit at his table that as you gather with the strong and the weak, the beautiful, the ugly, the wise, and the still learning, as you gather with many Mephibosheths, may you share this story, or better yet, live this story out to each other. Because this is exactly how God has agape you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who brings love into this world. One that just in such a beautiful, unconditional way, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. So Lord, I just pray that as we live in a world that uses this word love very loosely, and for so many different things, may we just see a little bit more clearly the agape love that you display and show. And may we be so bold to share that with others, to remind others that that it's a love that is first given to us and that we're called to give to others. And as your word says, people will know who we are by the way that we love. So may we love with great compassion like you showed and you do show us. In Jesus' name, amen.